Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. I defy you because you are such a good and loving and a precious Father, even unto us. We come to seek understanding, wisdom, revelation, and knowledge, Father. That will cause us to be established in the house and cause us to become pillars at the end of the day that can stand to defend the truth and walk in the light of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right, so um, we continue with uh, biblical numbers, language of biblical numbers, and today this is part 16, but we're going to be dealing with number 50 and number 60. Well, the same stands for what they represent in the Bible. That's what we're going to be dealing with tonight. So we're going to be dealing with number 50 and number 60 of biblical numbers. Praise the Lord. Are we here? All right. So, um, number 50. To start with number 50. Uh, number 50 appears almost about 154 times in the Bible. About 154 times in the Bible. That's number 50. And this number is very, very significant. I would like us to pay very close attention to it. Uh, because it's one of the things that represent the feast. One of the feasts and one of the, if I may use the word, the experiences that we are having today uh, in the body of Christ. Amen? Number 50. Uh, for instance, let's say for instance, uh, in the book of Genesis, um, we have 50 chapters in the book of Genesis. Very interesting. 50 chapters. And uh, that will tell you that he speaks of something, but we're going to touch the main thing as we progress. But the book of Genesis has 50 chapters. We often call the book of Genesis the book of beginnings. Right? Book of beginnings. And so uh, that tells you something uh, tremendous as well. And then, <clears throat> Genesis 18, for instance, let's look at Genesis 18, 23 and to 26. You find this interesting story. <clears throat> the Bible says, Abraham drew near. This has to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham drew near and said, Without also destroy the righteous with the wicked. Verse 24 says, For adventure, there be 50 righteous within the city. Without also destroy and not spare the place. For the 50 righteous sick that are in that city. So here we see that Abraham was looking for 50 people. And look at the next verse. And he says, Thou be far from thee, do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. Thou be far from thee, shall know the judge of the earth do right. And verse 26 says, and the Lord said, If I found in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for your sake. Hallelujah. You know, I mentioned this sometime, and it's important you understand it as well. Uh, we know that when we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the, the primary thing that comes to mind is a realm of sin. Right? And you know, sometimes people will say, Oh, if God 
will not destroy the world the way it is now, then he will apologize to Gomorrah. Have you heard that? Yeah. But you see, God did not truly destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of sin. He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because they couldn't find the number of people that Abraham was looking for. You know, when you begin to watch it from 50 to 30 down, it's scaled down up to number 10. So why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed was because God or Abraham couldn't find 10 righteous people. So those who were saying, for instance, God will apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah, they should check themselves and answer this question. Do we have this number of righteous people in terms of you check up the population? God is not really looking for sinners to destroy. You see, he's looking for righteous people to become the salt of the earth. You understand that? If God destroys the earth in any way, it's because he couldn't find the righteous people. He couldn't find the salt and the light. That should be the only reason. Because as long as the Bible says you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, God is not considering any other thing but to see you. You know what salt does? It seasons, it preserves from decay, from corruption. So God has planted the church on the earth so that the earth cannot go into corruption. But the same church that was supposed to be salt on the earth are the ones saying, if God will not destroy this world, then he shall apologize to Sodom. It, it just means you don't know exactly what you're talking about. You don't understand who you are. You don't even know why God planted the church on the face of the earth in the first place. You don't know. So if God had found ten people in Sodom, then he wouldn't have destroyed Sodom. Because those ten people will have become lights. So by implication, I, I would say, if you have a community of a thousand people, and there are about ten or even twenty people, and no matter what kind of life they are living, God is going to preserve that city. Is that okay? Right. So in, instead of looking at the sin of the people, think about your life, think about how many people have really become light and salt in that community. That's all the more reason why you should win souls. And you see why God was speaking to Ezekiel? If you will not want the people, I will require their blood in your hand. How I many of you remember that? Why? It means their destruction is tied to you not redeeming the people. It's tied to you not talking to the people. So even if God destroys the earth today, <laughs> it looks like the blood will be found in the hands of the believers. So when you go to preach people and they don't turn to God, don't instantly jump around and say you're going to hell. Because God in mind that you turn them to righteousness. You understand what I mean? Yeah, and when you don't do it, it requires your blood in your hand. It's your responsibility. Because the Bible says he has given out the ministry of reconciliation. Did you see that? So if we don't do that and be pointing accusing fingers on people, we are the ones that are actually going to face real, real judgment because the blood of these people will be required in our hands. Praise the Lord. Anyway, that's 50 that God said, if you find 50 there, I will save you. Find 30, I will save you. Find 20, 
Find ten. I will save it. So God couldn't find this number of people. That's why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Amen. And I think we have uh, a good population of Christians on the world today. So, <laughs> if I may go by these statistics, God is not going to destroy the world. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Come on, did you get that? Yeah. Check out the population of Christians on the world. We are on a good ratio. Is that okay? So for the sake of this number of people, forget about God destroying the world. It's not going to be destroyed. Because we have good people on the world today. We have righteous people. We have believers on the world. Hallelujah. And so I think God is going to, going to go by the same formula. So we can also tell God, hmm? if, if Abraham was telling God, you can't do this, we can also tell God, you can't do it. <laughs> and God will say, why can't I do it? So look at the number of Christians all over the world. For the sake of the Christian all over the world, you can destroy the world. And it sticks. Praise God. Come on, are you with me? Now we need to understand the mind of God. We need to understand how God works. And not just carrying all kinds of stories and fables and, and some idioms some parables from the local palaces and bring them into scriptures. If, if God will not destroy this world, then he's going to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Where do you find that in scripture? <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Are we here? Alright. Does that make sense to you? Give you some challenges so that you should be able to be a soul winner. Because that's why you are here. Is that okay? You should be a soul winner. You should be somebody that turned many into righteousness. And God is looking unto you to redeem the world. It's so important you understand that. He's giving us the ministry of reconciliation. To reconcile men unto God. Letting them know that God is not angry with them. God is not, you know, they shouldn't be fearful of coming to God. Ministry of reconciliation. All quarried dispute settled in Christ. Go proclaim that. God is not angry with you. Your sins are forgiven. He loves you. It's just that you don't know that your sins are forgiven. That's the good news. Is that okay? Because you see, when God looks down from heaven, He's not even seeing anybody. He's seeing Christ. Is that alright? It's not seeing you, it's seeing Christ. That's the key thing. The blood covers the universe. It died for the world. He didn't die for Christians, it died for the world. <laughs> Praise the God. It's the propitiation for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. That's something you must understand. But a lot of people don't know this. They have not come to believe this. That's the difference. But you have come to know this. And you believe this. That's why you call yourself a Christian. So now it is in your position to go tell the people what God has done. That's why we have the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. Praise the Lord. Are we here? Good. Go into Esther chapter 5 verse 14, 7 and 9. Esther Chapter 5, verse 14. Let us start 7, verse 9. Esther. Oh, okay. And then the Bible says, The vessel of the gold and silver of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took, I say Esther, not Ezra. The book of Esther. Oh, you want me to call it Esther? Esther, okay. 
Esther 5 verse 14. Then says his wife and all his friends unto him, Let a gallow, no, they are talking about Mordecai now, right? Let a gallow be made of what? 50 cubit high, and tomorrow speak down unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go down in, what is it? Merrily with the king unto the banquet, and the thing pleased Haman. And it caused the gallows to be what? Made. Okay. So let's go to chapter 7 verse number 9. Esther 7 verse number 9. Praise the Lord. Okay. And then the Bible says, And the Mabat, one of the chamberlains, said before the king, Behold also the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who had spoken good for the king, standed in the house of Haman. Then the king said, Hang him, Jerob. So Haman was hanged in his own gallow. Now the gallow, we are told, was 50 cubic feet high. Is that okay? Just give me some numbers in relation to 50. Alright, read with me Numbers chapter 4, 1 to 3. The book of Numbers chapter 4, 1 to 3. Numbers chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Number 2, verse number 2, please. Take the son of the sons of Kohat from among the sons of Levi, after their families by the house of their fathers. Verse 3. From 30 years old and upward even unto 50 years old. And all that enter into the house to do the work in the tabernacle of the congregation. 30 years old up to 50. So 50 years above you are not qualified. To do the work of the tabernacle. 30 years below, you are not qualified to do the work of the tabernacle. And most times when you read the Bible and it talks about the service of the congregation, actually talking about warfare. Is that okay? Praise the Lord. So 50 years and above, you are not qualified. That's the benchmark. The benchmark is 50. Above, you are too old. One of the reasons is the assignment there is so heavy. Even those that were to go to war, not above 50. Not below 30. And again, this is the reason why Jesus had to wait up to 30 years before he entered public ministry. Because of this. You understand that? I've explained that before, that Jesus never started ministry when he was 30. He was already in ministry when he was 12 years old. When he got to the temple asking the lawyers and the doctors of the law questions and they couldn't answer. That is when he started his ministry. Recruited his disciples and all of that. But when it was 30 years of age, which was what was qualifying anybody to do the work of ministry, that is when he came up. Public ministry was 30 years old. Praise the Lord. Alright, so here we have 50. Um, anything older than that you are not allowed Anything younger than that, maybe younger than 30, you were not allowed to do the work of ministry. Key point is 50. Well, but the most interesting aspect of the word 50 or the number 50 is in relationship to the Holy Spirit. 
The relationship of 50 to the Holy Spirit is very important and very, 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 very important. I want you to look at it. Uh, we know that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene on Sunday morning, AD 30. And then he ascended to the Father in heaven. Remember what he told Mary? For he said, look at John 20, verse 17. John 20, 17. John 20, 17. Can I get that? Hallelujah. The book of John. Now, here is the point. When Jesus rose from the grave, he was walking the earth in a different body, which is a glorified body. You remember that? Right. Now, when Mary came, went to the tomb, couldn't see him, he came out. And as he was walking around, he saw somebody, you know, standing by, as the case may be. And she thought this would be the gardener. Gardener have to do with those who keep in the garden now. And um, the question was, who are you looking for? I'm looking for Jesus. He's not in the tomb. If you know where they have laid his body, let me have his body. So I can spice the body as the case may be. Then Jesus said, Mary. Right? And instantly Mary was able to do what? Recognize Jesus. Now, the point I would like you to pick again from that picture is this. You don't really know God by the miracles that he performs. You don't know God by the miracles that he performs. Is that okay? You know God by his voice. That is why scripture says, My sheep follow me. I know them, they know me. And the voice of stranger, they will not follow. Did you get that? Now you must remember, Mary Magdalene had been with Jesus. You know Jesus from the physical. But after resurrection, he could not recognize him. Another picture you can find is Adam and Eve knew God was in the garden in the cool of the evening through the voice. Adam and Eve never knew God because of miracles, signs and wonders. That is why you may have signs, wonders and miracles, but that doesn't mean you know God. They are just gifts. They are just the messes of God. You can give all your testimonies, but that is not to say you know God. Because knowing God is a relationship. So now Mary will recognize Jesus. That is to say, if Jesus appeared to you today, you may not know him, except you've already known how he speaks. So here Mary was able to recognize because he spoke and said, Mary. Maybe we'll go up and read that thing a little bit. Fine. Go, go back to verse 14. Let's take it from verse 14. Now it makes sense now. Verse 14. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Look at that. 
Go up a little bit. No, just go back to verse 13, maybe, so that you can pick it properly. Verse 13. Praise the Lord. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. Verse 14. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. He said that to the people, Turn around, but he didn't know that Jesus was the one standing. But don't forget, this was the same Jesus that had been walking together for three and a half years. He knew not. Why? Because he can appear in another form. According to Mark 16. He said, appear to the disciple in another form. So he can take any form and appear to you. So if you're looking for the Jesus that was in Palestine 2,000 years ago to be the one to come, you deceive yourself. You're not going to get him. Even if he shows up, you will recognize him. But he's not coming with that kind of body. He comes in any form that he wants to you based on your perception of who he is. I don't know if you're getting this. I'll share a funny story with an account I had yesterday with a, a brother. Now, this brother went to a particular fellowship and uh, he said he just got discouraged because of what the pastor was saying. I said, what was the pastor saying? He said the pastor was saying, in fact, I'm tired. They said this Jesus is coming, coming, we've been believing. I'm tired of waiting. He said, he looked at this man and said, this man cannot mentor me. If you are already discouraged about Jesus, how can I? <laughs> so they said, it's coming, it's coming soon, it's coming soon, we've been waiting. Even myself, I'm tired. Because they don't know how he comes. I don't even get in this. They are waiting for one man to drop from the sky. That's why they are tired. So Christians, they are even tired. It's coming soon, the Lord is coming soon. <laughs> if he comes, because you don't know how he comes, you won't even know that he has come to you. Huh? We know there are various shades of his coming. Maybe we need to touch that after now. So here, yeah, Mary could not recognize. What's the next thing that happened? Verse 15. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She is supposing him to be the gardener. Said unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Can you imagine? The whole Lord, Jesus Christ, he thought he was a gardener. Praise the Lord. You see that? Doesn't it Jesus said unto her, Mary, she turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say what? Master. Did you see that? So verse 17. Now this is what we are coming to. Jesus said unto her, Touch me not. He wanted to go grab her. I grab him. Touch me not. I am not here ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I said unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. And I like that. Praise the Lord. He wanted to touch him, say, Don't touch me. Why did you think Jesus said, Don't touch me? Because he had not yet presented the blood unto the Father. Every high priest, once the lamb is slain, he takes the blood to the most holy place and sprinkles it. Now, Jesus had not done that as a high priest of the new order. 
said, so don't touch me, the assignment I've not yet finished. But he found the same day, he touched him because when he went, go tell the brethren, and they came. That's when Thomas was not around. Remember that? And they touched him. So, right on this point, when he left into heaven, presented the blood, was the next thing that followed? The Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after his ascension. Did you get this? So when he rose from the grave, give me Romans chapter, Revelation 1 verse 5. Revelation 1 verse 5. Oh, glory. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and I like that. You know, the Lord was mentioning that to me yesterday when I was listening to the message I shared over there. Talking about one of the characteristics of God in terms of expressing the kingdom faithfulness. Remember that? So Jesus says a faithful witness. He doesn't tell lies about it. You avoid false witness. Exodus 23. So, he said, And the first begotten of the dead, and the priests of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Amen? Okay. So here we find that this resurrection, he become the first fruit from among the dead. And that is very important. And then this happened on the very day uh, that God gave to Israel to wave that what he called the sheep offering. So let's go to Leviticus 23, verse 9 to 11. It corresponds to the very time, Leviticus 23, 9 to 11. The very time that God gave this law. I mean... This Lord to the people. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Verse 10, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruit of your harvest unto the priests. Verse 11 says, And he shall wave the sheep before the Lord to be accepted for you, and the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. The first harvest, you wave them unto the Lord. So now Jesus rose to become the first wave offering from the dead. That is to say, from amongst men, he became the first fruit from among men from the dead. Now when he was ascending, it's like a wave offering before God. Are you seeing it? Praise the Lord. So, and this is why we start counting 50 days to the Feast of Pentecost. After the wave of rain, you start counting. Now when you get 50 days on that count, you have the Feast of what? Pentecost. So in the true sense, Pentecost equals 50. And this is very important. Hmm. I see something now. How many people went to get Elijah to come down from the mountain? 50 people. So what's that supposed to tell you? Pentecostals were telling the anointed one to come down. Glory to God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You see what I mean? You have to ascend beyond Pentecost. In your worship, in your understanding... You got to go beyond Pentecost. We have the 50 bunch that we're going to tell Elijah to come down. Elijah said, if I be the son of God, let fire come down and consume you. First 50 went. Second 50 went. 
When they go to the other 50, they might say, but we know that man of God. <laughs> we are not asking you to come down. Will you please? <laughs> Praise the living God. This 50 bunch, a lot 50 bunch of people, Pentecostal, they had wisdom. And the first one were rascals. And they suffered for it. Praise the living God. Is anybody following this? This is very important. Then you get this thing that I'm, I'm, I'm sharing with you. So, 50 people, you know, as it were in the case of Elijah. So here, you begin to count after the sheep offering, you count 50 days and then you have what? Pentecost. So the word Pentecost actually in the Greek means 50. Pentecost in the Greek means 50. Is that okay? So, we call that the first fruits, or what you call the feast of weeks or the feast of first fruit. Look at Deuteronomy 16, verse 16. Deuteronomy 16, verse 16. The book of Deuteronomy 16, verse 16. Three times in a year shall all that male appear before the Lord, that God in the place which he shall choose. In the feast of unliving bread, that's Passover, in the feast of weeks, that's Pentecost, and in the feast of our tabernacle. And they shall not appear before their God world empty. Come with something. Is that alright? Are you following this? Praise the Lord. Yesterday something funny really happened and my wife didn't know what was going through my mind but she went to the licensing office and discovered that her license in the place of sex it was male instead of female. And so somebody discovered that and said, ah, Madam, this place is supposed to be female, but it's very male. And she'll be driving all this way with her license, carrying male. So, when she was talking, somebody spoke to me, in the kingdom of God, there's neither male nor female. <laughs> neither male or female. You don't need all those genders. You're all sons. So, she'll be operating as a son with her license. And that's why nobody could challenge her. Yeah, something was just made this to me. When she left, I started laughing. You know, as this thought started flowing. So, you see that there is no question of, you see, the male child appear. Is that okay? Right? In God's kingdom, there's not a male or female. Now, but what I'm showing you there is, you can from the time of sheep offering, I mean, the sheep wave offering, you count 50 days and you come to the feast of weeks, which is the feast of first fruits. And that feast of first fruit was the exact time the Holy Spirit was poured down upon the 120 in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. Are you there? Yes. Jesus promised them, tarry ye until be endued with power in the book of Luke. And he said, the Spirit will come upon you, there shall be witnesses. So, the Holy Spirit came on the 50th day. That's why Pentecost is equal to 50. And I showed you before, they got 50, I mean, 120 in the upper room. And the first Chronicles, with second Chronicles, we'll find the same thing. When Solomon built his temple, the first Chronicle now, when he built his temple, what happened? 120 priests blew the trumpet when they were dedicating the temple. You see that? So what happened there? 120 were in the upper room. They received the Holy Spirit. What's the next thing that came down? They came down and began to declare the new season. So 120 speaks of a new season, a new order, the building of God's temple. 
for the habitation of God through the Spirit. Amen? Praise the Lord. I need you together because it's very important. Now, I told us before, one of the very significant number 30 was 30 pieces of silver, which equals the blood of Jesus. Is that okay? Now, the atonement, which has to do with the altar, was number 20. So add 20 to 30, what do you get? 50. So now we find that the blood has to be poured on the altar, which has to do now with what? The Holy Spirit, in order to redeem mankind. Did you get that? See, 20 speaks of the altar, the atonement, the atonement altar. Now, 30 speaks of the blood. So, pour the blood on the altar, which is 50, was the next thing. Holy Spirit, and that speaks of what? Redemption. Man was set free when the Holy Spirit came. Do you understand it now? Right. So, the blood was poured upon the altar. The altar is 20. The blood is 30. 20 plus 30, 50. What is 50? Holy Spirit. Pour down for the redemption of mankind. Amen? Praise the Lord. And so this is why now how they call the Feast of Pentecost, uh, which corresponds to the Feast of Weeks. Again, 50 speaks of deliverance or freedom from bondage. Very, very important. You know, God told the children of Israel that every 50th year, there has to be a declaration of the day of atonement, of a jubilee. If you take time to read the whole of Leviticus 25, you get that. And this is what happens. If, for instance, my father owes some debts and he died, and the creditors came, like you find the, 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 the prophet's wife, the widow. The creditors come to take me into slavery. The point is, I have to go work out the debt that my father owed. As a slave now. You understand that? Now, if I'm working, it could be maybe I'm supposed to work for seven years to be able to pay off the debt. Or 10 years, depending on the amount of money my father was owing. If the period was supposed to be 10 years, and I've worked 2 years, right? And it fell into the year of Jubilee. Was a trumpet sounds, I walk out of the, of the field. So it's a year of freedom. So 50 speaks of deliverance, freedom, and forgiveness of debts. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter how many years I've worked. Even if I was supposed to labor for 20 years, and I've just done one year, and then the sound of jubilee comes forth, I'm set free. My master can no longer hold me back. The trumpet has sounded, and I'm set loose. We started the whole of Leviticus 25, you see that. So this is a very interesting fact. Here it talks about debt cancellation. All debt cancelled, you return back to inheritance, you know, to your rightful owners. In other words, if you owe me some debt, and I come to take your property for the debt you owe me, maybe I take your land. Is that okay? Now, you don't have access to your land anymore. 
until I work out how much you pay, how much you owe me on that piece of land. Now, if that land was supposed to be in my possession, like I said, for 20 years, and I just took it now, and it's just two years, and the jubilee sounds, I return your land back to you. You own it now. So jubilee was a year of death conciliation, and jubilee equals to 50. Oh, perfect. Now, so when the Holy Spirit came down, all deaths in terms of sin were all cancelled. Glory to God. Did you see that? Mankind was set free on the day of Pentecost, because that was the year 50, which corresponds to the time of Jubilee. So when the trumpet was sounded, the good news of the kingdom is to set men free and make men to understand that all their debts, which as we do we see in our world, cancelled. They are now free. Praise God, praise God. Are you seeing this? Hallelujah. Did you like that? <laughs> I mean, that is just what it is. That is what the good news is all about. You are a free man. Your sins have been washed away. It's not, oh, your sins are washed away. Others. No, we just sing it. We just, we just talk about it. This is not the issue of him. This is reality. My sins have been cancelled. I'm no longer a slave. I've been returned. I'm now a son of God. Everything that the enemy took from me, you know, when Adam sinned, he took all of us into slavery, took all of us into bondage. Right? But when Jesus came, paid the price as a kinsman redeemer. Because you see, hmm, one of the laws was this. If I'm owing you debts, and I can't pay. My brother can come and pay the price and they set me free. We call the law of Kingsman Redeemer. That's why when people talk about the Old Testament, they all do have nothing to do with it. They can't understand what Jesus did without studying the Old Testament. The Kingsman Redeemer have to come and pay the price and set you free from the debt you are owing. So Jesus said, is our fellow brother, I mean, he's our own brother, he's our senior brother. He being the kinsman redeemer, he has right to redeem us. Because the Lord does not qualify any other person to redeem you except your own brother of the same blood. Oh, come on now. That tells you we have the same blood with Jesus. Hallelujah. Did you see that? That's the only reason why he could save us. He brought us blood. That's what called ransom. He paid the price as a kinsman redeemer, fulfilling that law. And so we're set free. Glory to God. We have the same stock with him, the same blood with him. How ah, glory to God. Ooh. Not the blood of Joseph, but the blood of God. Amen. <laughs> glory. Okay, I love number 50. I don't know if we can get out of this. But let's just start 60 because we need to close up with some of these things. Let's go to number 60. I'll just show you a few things on 60. But I love number 50. I like studying it. Oh, number 60 is the number that speaks of 
the last phase of man's life. So you have, let's say, 20, you have 40, you have 60. Once you are 60 and above, you are facing the last stage of your life. You see? From year 1 to 20, there are things you are supposed to achieve. And you progress from 20. That is why you see most of these uh, Western nations or so, once you are 18, you can't stay in your father's house. They'll throw you out. They expect you to be a man at 18. In Africa, you can be 28 and you're still staying in your father's house. And when you come back, they don't give you food to eat. You want to burn the house down. <laughs> you forgot that you were supposed to have been a father in your own house at that time, but you see, acting like a baby. That's Africa. Because we are good at, you know, accommodating all kind of people. Especially have beers, white beers, you know. You still stay in the father's house, and you understand that? They don't know how to take responsibility, but for the, for the Western guys, when you're 18, 19, you go out. You see that? Because 20 is supposed to be a phase the preparation, if I want to say. 20 to 40. You should be married, settle down, have your children. Get a job. 60 and above. Your retirement. You are enjoying your retirement benefit. It's not a time in the true sense to labor. I don't know if you're getting this. Is it time to be hugging your grandchildren and all of those things? I mean, you're just enjoying your retirement benefit. You see that? So 60 is the last phase of man's life. I got a video this afternoon. Oh man, my mind was blown up. One of my mentors, if I want to say, Reverend Omole sent it to me. A woman of a hundred years old. And they were celebrating her birthday. And she was just saying, look, you want to live long, you want to live life, love people, hug people, forgive people, no matter what they do to you. Oh man. Hundred years old. <laughs> we have not even crossed whatever about all our body are just huh? That shows there's something wrong with our hearts. Hmm? We are never happy. We are always in sorrow. We have, and then the next thing, we are bending double. Before we get to 80, we are already crooked. Huh? Walking with walking stick or something. You can't stretch. <laughs> you are just... You manage to get 70. Oh, then the man live long. Live long at 70. Hallelujah. Uh, I, to, I think I'll send a video to you, Francis, will put it on the, on, the, on the group. Let everybody watch. All the men talking, giving instruction to people. Hundreds. And, and, and we think when, when the Bible says, Adam, I mean, Abraham got a child of hundred. He said, oh, well, that was then, that was then. Hallelujah. So, 60 is speaking of your last phase. You understand it? 
20, 40. That's why they tell you a fool at 40 is a fool forever. You know people say that. Good. Because at 40, you have achieved quite a lot with your life. Because once you move into 60, you are into a retirement age. And you settle down. Praise the living God. Amen? Alright. If you look at 1 Timothy 5, 3 to 11, we don't have time to read all of that. Our time is all gone. Number 50 took all the time. If you look at 1 Timothy 5, 3 to 11, just put down the board, we'll not be able to read all of that. I mean, you'll be able to see here, Paul was saying, any widow that is below 60 should not be included in the benefit of supporting widows in the church. Because anybody below 60 can walk or get remarried. So she should not be included among those who be supported in the church. But at 60, so you see what I was talking about? 60, that's when support comes. <laughs> you see, that's why, like I saying, you come to the place of retirement, support comes, seeing people support you, your children. At 60, up. Support said, no, when somebody is 60 years old, yes, you can. But below 60, don't include her among those to be supported by the church as a widow. Is that okay? So he's talking about what reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the office, I mean, afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. You see the characteristics of what is called a widow. Praise the Lord. So anybody 60, support. Below 60, no support. Go and walk. Get something to do for yourself. Don't depend on the church. Is that okay? Go get married again, if you will. At 50, yes. Say, Pastor, you mean, oh yes. 55, get married. No problem. Hallelujah. Come on, are you together with me? Hallelujah. Amen? All right, all right. Uh, let's, let's read this one. Interesting as well. <clears throat> Leviticus 27, verse number 1. We read from verse number 1. Hallelujah. Uh, we'll take it up to what verse I'm going to stop. Verse 2 and then verse 7, I'm sure. Let me see. Okay. And the Lord speak unto Moses, saying, <clears throat> Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When a man shall make a singular vow, the person shall be for the Lord by the estimation. And the estimation shall be of the male from twenty years old, even unto sixty years old. Can you see that? Even that estimation shall be fifty shekels of silver after the ordinance. And if he be a female, then the estimation shall be 30 shekels of silver. Now, this is what you pay to redeem yourself from that vow. If you made a vow unto the Lord, and you want to redeem yourself from the vow, you pay this money. You understand that? Okay, praise the Lord. Just sit down to read all of that. 
no time to read that. I just want to show you something there. Um, what am I going to show you here? Go with me to Genesis 25. Let's take them in a few minutes to do that. Genesis 25, just like 26. But this is a story of um, Jacob and Esau, or Esau and Jacob. Right? Here the Bible says, And after that came his brother out, that's the time of delivery. And he sang to hold on Esau's hill, Jacob now. And his name was called Jacob. And his Isaac was three score years old when she bought them. What three score years? Sixty. Isaac was sixty years old when he gave back to Esau and Jacob. Praise the Lord. Amen. And the body nerve of his wife was broken. Oh, glory. Praise the living God. Solomon captures something here that I would like to show you. First King chapter 4, verse 22. First King chapter 4. And Solomon's provision for one day was 30 measures of fine flour and 3 score measures of meal. 3 score speaks of 60. His family was so, so large. <laughs> Hallelujah. I know it's like sacrificing almost how many cows in a day? One day to feed his children. The man was rich. I tell you. I know the weight of Solomon was 666. Remember that? Read the Bible. His weight was 666. So if you say 666, the Antichrist, then Solomon was the one. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because the weight of Solomon was 666. Go check it out. Hallelujah. Now, two more scriptures here. But like, let me just say it. You know, when you take time to read the book of Daniel, the image of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, the image that Daniel, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar built people to worship was 60 cubits. Remember that? It was 60 cubits. Alright, so, but we look at the parable of the soul and there, Matthew 13, let's look at verse 18 to 23. Matthew 13, 18 to 23. Here therefore the parable of the soul. When the one heareth the word of the kingdom, oh I like that, not just the word, the word of the kingdom. There is a word that we are supposed to hear. The word of the kingdom. Amen? Not just the word. Oh, glory. And understand that it not. Then come at the wicked one and catch it away, that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receiveth seed by the wayside. But he that receiveth the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and an all with joy receiveth it. Yet had he not root in himself, but during for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the world, by and by he is offended. Offended means he falls out of faith. Huh? And I think this is why that pastor is saying, I'm tired of Jesus coming again, Jesus coming again, he's not coming. With all the Boko Haram in this country, you need to talk about that. <laughs> Offense has come because there's no root 
in the world. You may have heard the gospel, you have no understanding about what God is doing. What's the next thing? Verse 22, or 21 rather. With verse away. Verse 21. Go back to verse 21. Praise the Lord. Yet he had not root in himself, but during... What's that? Okay, we read that before. But dwell for a while. Okay, verse 22 now. He also that receiveth seed unto the, among the tongues is he that beareth the, bear the world and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world and it becometh all unfruitful. One is offended because of offense. The other one is unfruitful because of the care of this world. The care of what shall I eat, what shall I drink. I don't have the right car to drive, all of those things. Choke the world. You become unfruitful. What's the next thing? 23. But he that receiveth seed into good ground is he that heareth the world and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some what? A hundredfold, some what? Sixtyfold, some what? Thirtyfold. Sixty is a measure of your spiritual growth. The level of development that you have received as you receive the word. How you cherish the word, how you work with the word, the level of growth. So there's a measure of growth. Now you see, help me, Lord. You look at a tabernacle. You look at a tabernacle. You're laughing at me. <laughs> okay, you look at a tabernacle, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. You smiling at me, right? <laughs> Praise God. Now you see, you look at a tabernacle. This why if you read from the book of Mark. Mark started with 34, 64, 100 fold. But Matthew started with 160, 30-fold. They are not contradicting themselves. This is what happens. If you look at the tabernacle, here is the outer court, the middle court, the holy of holies. Is that okay? If you start from here, it could be 30, right? So, one is starting from 30-fold, 60-fold, Hundredfold. The other one is saying hundredfold, six. I mean, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. But for me, it's more appropriate to be thirtyfold, sixtyfold, hundredfold. Will you get into the place of the Godhead, the most holy place? So here is describing your growth as you walk into God. So there's a level of sixtyfold realm of spiritual maturity. So my question is. What is your estimation right now? How can you assess yourself? Are you on a 30 volt level? Or you come up to 60? Or you're progressing to 100? What level are you? Or you're one of those people that the cares of this world is choking what you're receiving? Huh? Or because the world that you have rooted you the enemy comes, take them away. What level are you? Or oh, you've received the word, you're digesting it, and you're progressing. Now, God expects the word to work in us to produce fruit. And the fruit has to be 30, your beginning, your journey, 60. But he's 60 there. He's speaking of the middle court. He's speaking of the Feast of Pentecost, now if you will. And then a hundredfold, which speaks of the Feast of Tabernacles. There's a progression of our growth in the Lord. And it's important we understand this as much as possible. So friends, for tonight, what did you get? We talked about the 50, right? 
which is the Pentecost, the realm of life, the realm of forgiveness, death, conciliation. That's number 50. Then we talk about 60, which to us, the thing I would like you to pick from 60 is that it's another phase of life, which is a level of maturity. You're coming to the place of rest. When you get to 60, you're progressing to 100. Thank you so much. Love you. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.